And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, I hope that you're all feeling okay. I think this whole coronavirus thing is beginning to be very wearing indeed. Uh, You may have heard that uh, indeed 3CR is responding to the uh, gravity of the situation and from Monday to April the 15th the station will be closing its doors to general traffic and in fact to programmers there will be a skeleton staff but it doesn't mean we're going off air. You're listening to 3CR, where at this time we're bringing you slightly different programming than usual. But rest assured, we're still here, bringing you radical, alternative current affairs, music and community language programming. Stay tuned to 3CR. And that's true. We will be continuing to program over the next uh, weeks. Uh, it's a, um, it's our attempt to uh, help uh, quell the spread of coronavirus and uh, we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to help you get through this uh, period by providing you with fantastic uh, spoken word and music programming for your uh, sharpened political awareness. And uh, there's uh, a couple of other things I guess uh, you should be aware of too. That We've got another sting here for uh, Simple Steps. To deal with it. To help stop the spread of viruses like flu and coronavirus, good hygiene is essential. That starts with washing your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds whenever you cough, sneeze, or blow your nose. Prepare food or eat. Care for someone sick, touch your face, or use the toilet. Together, we can help stop the spread and stay healthy. Visit health.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. That's right. (laughs) So I've done my duty to man and beast. Now we're going to move on to Solidarity Breakfast for this morning. Over the next uh, weeks, uh, Solidarity Breakfast will be pre-recorded. So uh, this is your last chance to enjoy my dulcet tones alive. So um, I went to, uh, I was talking to somebody recently who was part of a very private kind of but public demonstration against uh, the Herald Sun and they were part of the uh, Climate Guardians. Now, you you are probably aware of the Climate Guardians. You may not have been aware of their name. They are the beauteous angels that appear at uh, various events to highlight the... Uh, importance of um, climate change to uh, uh, the planet and uh, human um, existence. 
And, uh, and I know that uh, with coronavirus, an awful lot of stuff has been put aside, but it doesn't mean that all the important stuff isn't still there. And so uh, I was very, I was intrigued because these people, it was a very small demonstration, but consistent, very similar to uh, the uh, Wednesday Action Group. Now, I know that the Wednesday Action Group had actually targeted the Herald Sun building, but they're around the other side. Um, And they were quite canny because uh, they would congregate in a, a little section of land that belongs to a church da- tucked in down there uh, in their foyer because, in fact, the uh, land along the uh, river there with all those tall buildings and the development have got a very murky kind of uh, interaction between private and public. And even though people are allowed to walk around there, we might be only doing it because those tall buildings and those people in them and the owners want your money. So uh, there's always been this battle going on around what's public and what's private. And, of course, the uh, climate guardians in this instance have been caught in the net of uh, a fairly vicious kind of attack uh, and they've been taken to court. So I, I spoke to Deborah Hart, who's one of the uh, climate guardians, and asked her about this particular uh, thing that uh, they've been caught up in. You were part of a demonstration outside the Herald Sun down at the uh, Riverside. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing down there? Yeah, thanks, Sandy. Uh, so a few weeks before the federal election 2019 was announced, Climate Guardians started visiting the Herald and Weekly Times headquarters. We knew that a federal election announcement was imminent and we also knew that they would be critical and that they would, you know, typically they would twist and manipulate um, stories, they would misinform, uh, they would polarise, and particularly around the climate issue. And, of course, we we knew that uh, Clive Palmer was moving in heavily because, of course, he wanted um, a permit for that mine that he's got in the Galilea Basin, which is, you know, uh, know, many times larger than Adani's. Um, Gina Reinhart's got interests up there. We just knew that what we were going to see was a, um, you know, a complete meddling of democratic processes so we started visiting. We um, would would take signs and stand just quietly. The first action, there were seven of us, um, but all of the subsequent ones have been single angels or two at the most and just holding signs. So, for instance, um, when Andrew Bolt was bullying Greta Thunberg's sign on that week was like, you know, bullying children won't change the facts. Hashtag climate emergency. Um, you know, some of the other signs have included things like should liars have media licenses, <laughs> climate emergency. Another hashtag we were running with was um, hashtag break Murdoch monopoly, arguing that our laws um, are uh, anti, um, you know, uh, media concentration laws should have worked to prevent news um, core owning and controlling more than 70% of Australia's news, um, but all of Queensland's newspapers. 
Um, I don't know if you recall, in, um, I think it was late 2016, they actually got permission to buy the rights to APS, gave them virtual control over all the local newspapers, certainly throughout Queensland. So, um, you know, this, you know, whether it was anti-monopoly laws, whether it was um, media concentration laws, and in 2016, Australia was already recognised to have one of the most undemocratic media structures. So, you know, one of the largest concentrations of ownership anywhere in the world. Not yeah, that's right. Developed countries, absolutely anywhere in the world. So, you know, it's not like a lot of, you know, media academics and journalists haven't been really raising the alarm for a very long time. And we basically just knew that we were going to be in for a hell of a ride with the election. And as we saw, we were. Yes, we were. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bizarre, you know, it, we did not have a democratic election. I don't think that any sensible person looking at facts and looking at the importance of, of you know, information, access to... Um, credible information can argue that Australia has a democratically elected government now. Yeah, so so you decided and the uh, Climate Guardians decided that this would be a good way of raising awareness. Yeah, we just wanted to kind of do the we see you, you know, um, mm. with, you know, with our capacities as, you know, up against extremely powerful vested interests. What can concerned citizens do? Uh, you know, we have a, a thanks to one of our climate guardians who is a brilliant barrister who tweets in chambers. We have a, a, a pretty good um, Twitter following. We have, um, you know, more than, I think it's getting up to close to 12K followers now. We've got quite a few more followers once we started this campaign. So we knew that we could get some photos out. We could, um, you know, just focus a bit of, kind of community community sort of um, you know concern on on them directly so yeah it, it's it's been great and on the so oh and I have to say I'll have to say that the angel motif is just so powerful oh well look that's why we use it <laughs> basically it the imagery itself was was inspired by Alana Beltran, who was the Weld Angel, who blockaded this in the Sticks Valley in Tassie. Um, and she helped us. She's been, you know, a, a major part of, certainly, she, she lives in New South Wales, so unfortunately she can't come to many of our local actions, but she's been really instrumental. And Liz Connor, who's, um, who is a, an academic and, and um, cultural historian, so she... She and I kind of started it, and then I, I, you know, was really fortunate enough to be able to bring Alana down for a month um, in the year that we were forming so that we could, you know, really have her strong input into how we would uh, use her incredibly powerful imagery, which is really sacred forest imagery, in, in to kind of bring attention to the climate emergency and to the to all of the different dimensions of the climate emergency because obviously our forests are a hugely important um, asset in not just fighting climate change and, and the extinction crisis, but, you know, they're, they're just critical in themselves. So, yeah, it was, 
Yeah, it's been a really, really good vehicle because, you know, police arrive and their response um, typically has been, oh, wow, you look so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of of helpful. Um, And certainly the three previous occasions where Angels had visited the Herald Weekly Times headquarters, that had been the reaction. So police had come... They had been very courteous, and I should just mention too that um, upon our arrival, we would always call the South Bank precinct and let them know that we just arrived and this was our intention. We'd be here over lunchtime, you know, roughly an hour. This is the sign we're holding. This is how many people we are today. Um, you know, we think you're probably pretty busy dealing with, you know, m- you know, many other issues, but you're going to get a call probably from security in a minute, just letting you know that we're just giving your heads up and letting you know that it's us. And, you know, we, we will be silent. We won't cause any interference in anyone's, um, you know, experience of, of that courtyard. Um, but, yeah, you're going to get a call. So we had always done that. And then on the fourth occasion, and it was just Kate and her adorable little five-year-old son, Arlo, and myself, I was photographing. So, yeah, we had um, a pretty aggressive um, cop. He was, um, and, you know, and there were four kind of with him. And (laughs) the other four were very courteous and actually... I have to say, because, you know, humans understand humans. We don't always need to use words to express how we feel. They, you know, largely looked awkward about the situation. (laughs) Um, And we'd had a very aggressive sort of supposed security guy. Now, this security guy had, he'd appeared in every previous action as well. And the police had said to him, sorry, but they're being really peaceful. They're not causing any disruptions. They're silent. They are completely within their democratic rights because this is a it is private property, but it has a for public purpose. So they are within their rights to to protest as long as they remain peaceful and you know don't disrupt. So he he kept sort of giving us the impression, and it's really funny too because when I was taking the photo of Kate and Arlo. He came storming up to me, and I and I was trying to get one of those really kind of sort of creative shots, which actually didn't work very well. But anyway, I was attempting it. So I was really at the back of the courtyard, kind of against the wall, trying to get that kind of sheer, you know, the size of the corporate building yeah. and the facade, the little angel, the little boy in his adorable baby angel wings. You know, anyway, so this supposed security guy comes marching up to me, and seriously, you know, blocks, blocks me against the wall and says, you're intimidating me. I'm like, <laughs> what? Dude, <laughs> you just marched up to me, basically sandwiched me against the wall. I think if you're feeling intimidated, you should take a step. But in the meantime, I took a step sideways and just kept photographing. And he kind of looked like, oh, you know, geez, and he, he stomped off. But it was like, you know, this was kind of out of his script book or whatever and, you know, his playbook and and it hadn't quite worked. And anyway, so when the police arrived, um, yeah, this this 
um, one guy, because it's the constable, you call the guy in charge. Anyway, he was like, you have to leave. And, I, you know, was, I, Kate didn't speak, but I was saying, well, but, you know, I'm not questioning you, but I'm questioning the law upon which you're demanding that we go. Um, because, you know, just, in every, just like in every previous occasion, we're completely silent, we are peaceful, you know, this really, I don't understand what's different this time. And too, that people walking past have, you know, in huge numbers been incredibly uh, encouraging, saying, you know, you have no idea how much support you have in this building. Welcome back, angels. Great to see you. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's actually really quite heartening. There's always been one guy, and it's kind of probably late 60s, who's been abusive, just this one guy, and he says ridiculous things like, you know, get a job, and the guy that he screamed that to happened to be an angel who was kind of, you know, worked in a factory and had taken the day off in order to kind of just drug, like, is that all you've got to say? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. anyway. Um, so, except for this one guy, people have been actually really courteous to us and encouraging. So on this occasion... When this policeman, unlike in previous occasions where the police had been really courteous with us, this guy was clearly um, had a different tone with us and manner and way of standing. And, and, you know, I remember a couple of men walking past at different times. They, they were not connected and, and starting filming and saying they have every right to be here. This is a democracy. One of them said, you know, said, do not go that that man who's saying he's from security, he's not. He's a News Corps employee. You have every right to be here. So it was a quite confusing situation. Every point, I did just keep saying, look, I'm not questioning you, because that's what he would come back with. He'd say, are you questioning me? And I'd say, no, I'm not questioning you. I'm questioning the law. If you can provide me with evidence that we are, in fact, trespassing, then, you know, we'll go. But, it's, you know, as far as we understand, we are within our rights. So it was a bit of a muddly situation, and then and then he started saying really manipulative stuff like, "Look at your look at this situation you've put your poor friend in. How could you? How dare you? Like, you know." And I was going, uh, "Excuse me, I think Kate's a grown up. I think she makes her own decisions, and I think the reason why she's here, standing there looking, you know, really adorable in his little baby angel wings, like. But if you're, you know, queering." you know, why she's here, maybe you should, you know, raise that with her. But so it was really kind of manipulative. And then he was saying, oh, and, it, and how manipulative of you to bring a child into this situation. I'm like, I'm sorry, but he's with his parent. He's a little boy. He's too young to school. You know, like, you know, on every previous occasion, when police have come, they've actually been really in and courteous why would we expect it to be any different today so I just kept responding to kind of what was you know deliberate sort of so how did it get to a point where you got charged what did you get charged with well we got charged with which is really funny we got charged with trespass which we are challenging and with besetting premises now, the besetting premises is hilarious because it basically means that, you know, you like you've shut the whole place down, you've occupied it, you know, you've, you've made it such that nobody can, you know, enter or um, leave. And, I'm, you know, I'm so, 
sorry, but even the photos, you have to laugh because I challenge anyone to find a cuter photo than this, you know, than Kate with little Arlo standing there and angel wings holding up their sign. It's hardly the setting premises. But, um, but yeah, we were, yeah, we are charged with both of those things. And we didn't know what the charges would be at the time. Um, but basically, we were just refusing to leave. We were saying we would leave soon because lunch was nearly over and it's pointless. You know, we don't exhaust ourselves. We just go down and spend the busy lunch hour and, you know, we'd be gone soon. We just didn't, we just didn't appreciate and we thought it was wrong that they were going to put News Corps' rights to, to that very public square, even if it's in a private property, it's still got a for-public purpose, has a public overlay, ahead of the rights of citizens to make a really important point. So, um, and to do it in a, in a completely peaceful, graceful, courteous manner. So, so when are you going to court? Well, it's been been adjourned uh, twice now. Maybe so, because of the virus, too. Well, no, this actually was adjourned for the second time before Christmas. Ah. So, and I, I don't actually know. So, you know, we'll we'll hear at some stage. But the reason it's been adjourned too is because we were offered a diversion, refused to accept it because the diversion basically means that you have to plead guilty oh. and be a condition to it was that we would have to write to News Corps and apologise. Oh. Like, I'm terribly sorry for pointing out that you're a mouthpiece <laughs> meddle in our democracy and, you know, blah, blah. So we're just like, sorry, not. <laughs> but the other thing too, I think, Annie, which is really, really important to focus on we were basically told that we would really would have to plead guilty to trespass. And we're saying we want to challenge that. And we want to challenge this compliance and this acceptance that exercising one's democratic rights on private property that has a public overlay. You know, so Herald Weekly Times can think that it can safely sort of put itself away in this private property in the South Bank precinct and nobody can hold it to account in ways that... Um, are more effective, and we're what you're saying is they want to be uh, absolved of any sense of guilt. Well, no, I think that they just want to be able to remove themselves from you know spotlighting from from the public, basically. Um, so they're trying to distract and saying, you know, we have broken the law by entering their private property and we're saying our rights to democratically um, express ourselves override your rights to remove us because you don't like what we're saying. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes like, we perfect didn't make sense. The building. We're out the front of the building. No, no, it makes perfect complete, sense. Yeah, complete public overlay. So it's not... That, so, yeah, they it's just a complete distraction and, you know, and that's where I think it's really important for us to challenge that. Like, sure, because this is what I was saying to Kate and sort of saying to our lawyers, is like, surely our democracy is more robust than that. Surely our right to, to express ourselves peacefully, you know, in a democratic way that doesn't, you know, threaten or impinge on anyone else and our rights to assemble override the rights of commercial interests to 
occupy what is, in effect, public space. It's going to be kind of interesting. And I really, what I really don't want and what I always feel happens in these situations is the conversation gets distra- distracted. The, the key issue here is that on, uh, who knows how many times every, every few minutes news across every platform is misleading and deceiving the public. It misinforms. Look at the way they've treated the bushfires. Look at, look at their, their record on the election was atrocious. And it's cr- across every one of their platforms. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old crocodile lizard, I really know that the mining company gotta go. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your dial.
saying earlier that, uh, uh, that on at the beginning of the program that, uh, yes, coronavirus is the big uh, event that's going on at the moment, but of course there's a whole lot of other things that are going on running parallel. And one of those rather amazing pieces of uh, news that came out earlier this week was that the Victorian government has decided to uh, stop the moratorium on onshore gas drilling. Uh, quite shocking. And uh, I spoke to, I had a chat with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth, who's been leading a campaign uh, across Victoria, uh, right through sort of 70 different uh, regional areas, uh, that uh, regional groups that have been uh, uh, involved in uh the campaign to uh, maintain the moratorium and to get the moratorium originally. Anyway, I had a yarn with Cam Walker uh, to find out a little bit more about uh, his views on what's just happened. It was fairly shocking to discover that the Victorian government has just announced that uh, the moratorium on onshore gas drilling has been stopped in Victoria. Can you give our listeners a background to what's happened here? 
Yeah, sure. So there has been a very long-running campaign to get both the ban on fracking and the moratorium on conventional gas drilling in Victoria. That started in 2011 and in 2014 the moratorium was established and in 2017 the ban on fracking was established. The moratorium was extended until June this year and that's why we're having the conversation now and the Victorian government has announced this week that it will put legislation in place to lift the moratorium. Now, there is a difference between uh, fracking and onshore drilling. Let's get that off our plate first. Yeah, sure. So there's two types of gas, conventional gas, which is where you drill into the ground and you can pretty much extract the gas straight away, and there's unconventional gas. And it often requires the use of the process of fracking, which requires um, water and chemicals Press, uh, under very great pressure being put into the ground to fracture the rock and uh, it's very destructive in terms of the potential to cause contamination of groundwater and that's why it upsets rural communities so much. So the fact that we have a ban on fracking is a really good thing and it was great that the Victorian government listened to the community um, about this and did put a ban in place and the announcement this week was that they would actually enshrine that decision in the state's constitution. So that is good. The ban on fracking remains in place. So what has changed that has made the Victorian government decide that it was it's such a great idea to do uh, onshore gas drilling? Well, I honestly don't know. Um, the government says that it's based on, quote, science, unquote, but um, there are concerns around conventional gas drilling as it is. There is a low level of groundwater contamination that's possible. Um, but it's obviously, as a gas, um, as a greenhouse gas, it, uh, it's 27 times worse than putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. It's long-lived. It has a really negative impact once that methane is in the atmosphere. So it will drive our contribution to climate change um, and it won't actually bring down prices. And the report that was released by the Victorian Government's gas program actually said that in the introduction. The volume of gas that's likely to be extracted from Victoria will not be enough to impact on demand. It's not enough to make the shortfall in gas supplies that is expected in the winter of 2024 and it's not expected to bring down the price of gas for domestic or commercial users. So you have to ask, why did they bother to do this? And they're targeting Western Victoria and Gippsland, two prime uh, agricultural areas. Absolutely. So they've identified three areas where commercially viable conventional gas exists onshore in Western Victoria, and they're in three belts. One uh, that ends to the west of the Otway Ranges, one to the uh, in the Warrnambool area and then one further out towards Portland. It covers, as you say, some of our best um, farming land, some of our best dairy land, and then an also significant bit of our best dairy land um, in Gippsland as well. So there's four areas that are considered commercially prospective for conventional gas in the state. Now, the government says that it held consultation uh, meetings in some of these areas, but there's... Uh uh, problems with that uh, idea, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. Um, when they started to do phone surveys about this, I personally got a large number of phone calls from people that had been canvassed over the phone and they felt that the, the questioning format wasn't very good. It was, would you be prepared to accept? Um, it wasn't, you know, what what is your approach to this? So people said to me they felt that the questions were slightly loaded the government is saying that they believe that up to 
accelerate this form of development, but uh, I'd really question the methodology behind this and I would really question the sentiment. Um, I would, from my experience working in the region, the support for drilling is far lower than that. And also, we're in the midst of a uh, the COVID-19 virus uh uh, emergency, I suppose you'd call it that, and uh, as well as there having been a, an, a, a terrible bushfire uh, experience down in Gippsland, it seems a very strange time to be putting forward this particularly contentious issue. It does. I understand they want to get on with it, and I understand that what they've done is legislate so the industry won't, wouldn't start until July next year. So that's good. They're giving extra time to make sure that the regulatory framework is actually up to scratch, which I don't think it is at present. But yeah, many people expressed the view that, well, it was, it was poor timing to do this when everyone's very preoccupied with keeping themselves and their community safe from the COVID virus. The, uh, when you say that you don't think that the legislative framework's in order, what are you talking about? Well, um, the government admits that we're not quite ready to regulate this onshore industry at scale um, and they know that they have to tweak some of the consultation process and also some of the approvals process. Under previous frameworks, farm owners or landowners had very little rights. They didn't have a right of veto over mining companies coming onto their land to access gas. Um, that system is still a bit up in the air, and my understanding is the government will improve the system. Um, however, at this point, there's no right of veto enshrined in the current proposal, as I understand it. I haven't read all of the report. It only came out um, earlier this week, but my understanding is there is no right of veto. So the government needs to clarify the situation, the legal situation of landowners when they are confronted by gas companies wanting to come onto their land. Previously, it was a case if you couldn't say no, but the mining warden could force the companies to come up with a compensation agreement for you. So there's a fair bit more detail that we need to see around the the, the consultation, the negotiation process and the, and the regulatory framework process, which we hope will become apparent in the next few months. Who are the companies that are involved in this? Do you know? Uh, well, we, we don't know at this point, but it's likely to include Beach Energy and Lake Soil. Lake Soil became quite famous because that Gina Reinhart uh, put money into that company. Um, they would be the two companies that we know have expressed interest. We don't know who else will surface uh We'll have to wait and see what happens once they actually get the legislation through and Victoria is uh, uh, putting forward the possibility of people applying for exploration permits. Now, of course, you've been uh, running this campaign. You've got uh, connections with people all across the state who are related to, to this campaign. What's the reaction of the country people uh, 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 with this legislation, That no, you know, this announcement? As you would expect, people are pretty grumpy about this. Um, what they really liked about having the ban and the moratorium was it gave farmers certainty. They knew that nothing was going to happen. They knew they weren't going to be bullied by the gas companies. They knew they didn't have the stress of not being able to sell their land um, if drilling started nearby. So all that security is now gone. Uh, many of the people that won this campaign, and we won it through 75 regional communities in Victoria, door knocking, getting mobilised and declaring themselves gas fuel free, all those people, you know, they put hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours into winning this campaign and now they've got to start all over again. So 
the anxiety level is growing. I'm getting lots of people ringing me up being very upset by this. Um, and they're upset because it's not going to benefit our community very much. There will be some jobs in local areas, but it does, as these farmers tell me, threaten the existing farming that's occurring in those areas that are creating jobs. So um, I think it was a bad move by the Victorian government. You know, we are not jumping up and down with joy and saying, isn't it great that they're putting the fracking ban in, in the Constitution, which we should be because it's a really great move. We're really focused on the negatives of this announcement and we need to be because it's a poor decision. It will add to our greenhouse gas emissions and it won't actually bring down prices for consumers. So we're really disappointed that the government has taken this decision. And I think it's, it's a bit of a known goal for them that, um, you know, all the, the, the social media noise and a lot of the media noise is around how upset and, uh, you know, the great thing they did which was to listen to the community around fracking and to ban fracking has been lost in that background noise. Now, it's interesting because uh, if, you, as you say, it's not going to bring back, uh, bring down prices and it's going to pollute and it's also going to destroy the environment around these country areas, what's in it for, is it an economic gain for someone else, do you think? Well, there will be economic activity. There's no doubt about that. I think the figure was, I was saying up to 242 jobs would be created and there would be $43 million in royalties and there would be several million dollars in what they call regional activity. So clearly that's what the government is focusing on. All of that is good, but we would argue that, well, renewables create lots of jobs and it creates a lot of, of economic activity and it brings income to local councils. So why not continue to go down that path? I think many in the government just wanted for them to be seen as being, quote, open for business when it comes to fossil fuels because coal is on its way out in Victoria because our coal-fired power stations are ageing and becoming too expensive to keep open without massive investment of funds. And I think that there's just some of the, the more brown-orientated members of the state government wanted to be seen to be keeping fossil fuels in the space. Well, it was interesting to me that uh, recently Tim Pallas gave a, sort of a forecast of uh, what um, is going to happen economically in the state, and it was uh, run by Cedar and it was sponsored by Exxon. Uh, so it made me think that the uh, uh, closeness with governments and uh, fossil fuel has definitely not... Uh, loosened as much as, say, people in the community would like? Possibly not. And I think, you know, it's doubly disappointing because this is a government that generally gets climate change. You know, they put the ban on fracking, they rebuilt the Climate Change Act, they're about to make a decision on their emission reduction target for the years 2025 and 2030. They've committed our state to net zero emissions by mid-2050. Uh, they started the Solar Homes Program, which is a massive investment in solar that's helping domestic um, uh, homeowners that you know need to pay their bills, and they created the Victorian Renewable Energy Target. They've done all this great stuff on climate and energy policy, and it's like they've set out to ruin it by making this really stupid decision to open up the state to gas, um, which won't bring a lot of benefits to us. Now, uh, Parliament is actually made up of a whole range of uh, representatives and a whole lot of interests. Have you observed any sort of push and pull within the Labor government that shows tensions? Oh, yes. So we're, we constantly lobby um, all the political parties. Sadly, it's very clear the coalition 
supports the moratorium being lifted, so they'll support the government and the legislation will get through. But yeah, there are many ALP politicians who get that the time for new fossil fuels is over and I'm very happy uh, about this uh, as a government decision that, you know, I doubt anyone will sit on it, I assume, uh, that the legislation will be voted on along party lines. So can you tell me what uh, you and your campaigners are, are intending to do? Well, we're regrouping with the regional groups at present. So we're talking with the Gippsland groups and the Western Vic groups, and that's happening this week. So we'll have more of a campaign plan uh, by next week. We're asking people to make it known to the Premier that they're really upset about this and that's easy to do. Send an email, um, check the Friends of the Earth Melbourne website for a bunch of ideas and how to get in touch. We've got a, a virtual action where you, uh, on Facebook, check in um, at Treasury Place, which is the Premier's office, and, and say how you're not happy about what's going on. There's lots you can do. Ring talk back, you know, get out there, read our materials so you feel informed, get out there, write letters and papers. There's lots that can do. But keep an eye on our website for updates in the coming week. Thanks for talking to me, Cam. Cheers. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, the voice of the community. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. I just pay my way out. This is a miracle. Go with the fellas, whatever the weather We got drinks with umbrellas You got time to wine, I keep them down in the cellar We got time to shine, I do that shit at Coachella Throwing brunches and lunches, lunches and crunches Living life in abundance, don't really worry about nothing Then I pull up, hop out, wave at that cop now Stop sign, ran that, oh that fine, that's not out And hush what they say now I just pay my way out. This is a miracle. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, my life is incredible. Miracle. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, my life is incredible. Oh, oh. My life is incredible. Miracle. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, my life is incredible. Oh, oh, oh. Man, it's okay to be opaque. Man, it's okay to be opaque. Man, it's okay to be opaque. You got your girl a new handbag. I'm living like I got my land. I got them tin tans and bintangs. Chewies and skip pants. Very vocal. Let's smoke or what? Tell them all my big plans on how we head to Bali smoking Cuban cigars. And we fuck up the party like acoustic guitars. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. Man, hush what they say now. I just pay my way out. I just pay my way out. This is a miracle. Yeah. 
Listening to 3CR Community Radio. A weak solidarity, Bricky Team listener, when mentioned last week how the high priests of laissez faire market forces competition policy on the great level playing field of world's best practice, the inefficient, bloated public hand of government has no role in the business of business, hate anything that looks remotely like socialism, acknowledge that laissez faire market forces can demand a role for the inefficient, bloated hands, like when government is required to meet little costs like their profits and the wages of their workers who aren't their workers but in but uh, individual little businesses well the corporate world of sport Peter Bolandi's high-paid jobs, head of horse racing in New South Wales. Remember the oh-so-convincing interview in the uh, in the horse cruelty expose? This week, Peter turned up as also head of rugby league, that sport which makes us quintessentially true blue Aussie. And how do we know that? Pete told us. True Blue Aussie without rugby league is not true Blue Aussie, he philosophised. Direct quote, no embellishment. Well, he called it Australia. And I thought, yeah, yeah, if there was no rugby league, there'd be no True Blue Aussie. They're symbiotic, kind of like a married couple. And Pete wants rugby league to do the screwing. Those wise words preceded, the government must help us. It's not of our doing. So good to see Pete sees a role for the public purse, hand lots of it to the privately owned uh, clubs, without whom True Blue Aussie would not be True Blue Aussie. Club owners like Lord Rupert of Wapping and actor Russell Crowe throws shoes or phones. People with people who desperately need a government handout. And presumably the government has a responsibility. Well, it must help us to, uh, he said, because if the government must be responsible for the virus, because rugby league certainly isn't. It's not of our doing, Pete said that. Despite that, the tax commissioner told a caring business class audience last week, well, he wouldn't address an audience of lazy, avaricious workers, would he? Audience last week, they only had themselves to blame for public scepticism about corporate tax avoidance, presumably because of corporate tax avoidance, which we know is not tax avoidance, but paying every last cent of their legal tax obligations. So how dare the tax commissioner criticise an audience which so respects the law? Government keep out. Sadly, disrespect for the law is universal. There are crooks just everywhere. Take these career criminals like Warana Mabaya, M-B-Y-O-I-M-A, a tiny lawless indigenous tribe in Brazil, defying their great respect for the law, big supremo Bolsonaro, who has passed a law making it the law that this tiny lawless tribe's land now belongs to a private developer. These indigenous criminals have been occupying the land which they claim is theirs with the sorry, the forces of law and order ordering them to obey a court order. What's more legal than a court order? To end occupation of land assigned to a company building apartments. 
Now, what could be more legal and especially reasonable than that? And yet this tiny indigenous mob who obviously have no respect for the law refused to move and have lodged an appeal against the court order. And we can be sure the tribe will benefit from the development. Here's big supremo Bolsonaro trying to drag his country into the 18th century and what thanks does he get? Oh no, no, in the 18th century the Amazon was still pretty much intact. Still on matters legal, and protesters who have no right to protest, sadly the, the reasonable, um, the, um, sorry, sadly the responsible media and corporates couldn't believe a magistrate lifting a bail condition that all these long-haired, commie, greeny, wouldn't work in an iron, iron lot, climate change lots, if there is such a thing, climate change, protesters not be allowed to protest. That is lifted. In other words, allowing them to disrupt the business of business. Dozens of Extinction Rebellion protesters who wreaked havoc on the CBD are free to protest, etc. The Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin spoke angrily, responsibly, for all quiet troublewazies. Also matters legal and the um, virus-suffering economy, the big end-of-town law firms like Free Kills the Workers et al. and the True Blue Aussie Institute of the Filthiest Rich of the Filthy Rich Company Directors have called for the legalisation of companies trading while insolvent or suspending it being illegal as companies face difficulties. Now, in other words, corporate crooks um, trading while insolvent is bad for good old capitalism in good times. So when good old capitalism is going downhill, that's real smart. Heard Business Profits Council's Jennifer Worcester-Costas offer a, a rational plan to address the economic uh, impacts which outlined a well thought through raiding of the public coffers to fund their profits and their workers wages. Given as we said they believe government has no role in the business of business, in laissez-faire market forces etc they hate anything that looks remotely like socialism. We asked Chamber of Profits spokesperson Rick Bloated why they advocated a policy that looks very much like socialism for the filthy rich. Absolutely not, Rick assured us. This is 100% capitalism. Are you suggesting government is not 100% capitalist? Hungry for Profits Jacks, one of a chain of fast food, salt, sugar and fat public health disasters run by a bloke called Jack, who is a very, very, very close friend of the filthiest uh, rich true blue Aussie woman, Gina, therefore a man of integrity, has had its EBA thrown out by the fair work true blue Aussie, no longer work choices just looks like it, commission after an appeal by the retail and fast food Food Workers Union, that disruptive parvenu that has so upset the cosy little relationship between the caring employers and the shopping the workers union, which worked so well over so many years for the interested parties. Well, except the workers, if we consider them an interested party, and the caring employers and shopping the workers' union certainly didn't. After all, they're only workers. Anyway, EBA thrown out because the employer listed in the agreement
government is not the actual employer. A different uh, entity of Gina's Mates Jack's uh, Salt, Sugar and, uh, and Fat Empire, the commissioner declaring he didn't know this when he approved the agreement, so he's now unapproved the agreement. It gets worse for the cosy arrangements. The Parvenue Union boss, Josh Covenan, claims the award is manifestly better than the agreement Jack was trying to get through, which goes to show how long-standing norms can be thrown asunder when evil unions, and let's make it clear, we don't consider, and indeed the caring employers don't consider the shopping the workers' union an evil union, but when evil unions get involved with matters that have nothing to do with them like industrial relations. Poor Jack. Gina's very, very, very close friend might have to jack up the prizes at Hungry for Profits Jack and Domino, Domino on the Nose pizzas and his other contributions to public health. There's this ad in the finance media from a mob called Feel the Magic, picture of a mother and two daughters with the line, they've lost a loved one, can you help? Corporate Troubler Aussie, we need your fundraising support to ensure no grieving child slips through the cracks. And the photo shows them laughing and looking exceedingly happy and content, the very opposite of grieving, indicating either they can feel the magic or it's good riddance to the loved one. The loved one wasn't all that loved. Surely it would help the ad if they'd looked uh, like they were just a, a bit upset. Very upset with China and ch uh, evil China, US of the UN of the US of the world supremo Donald Trump or the poor, who said the, the medical bureaucrat or this medical bureaucrat had uh, worked so hard to counter the coronavirus that the only person who worked harder to stop Americans or to help Americans was, you guessed it, me, me, greatest me ever, ever. So perhaps the, perhaps the virus wasn't fake news after all. We have to admire his modesty, don't we? And what a delightful man. Don't we also just love the way he calls it the Chinese virus? Worst ever, ever. Over and over and over. Unbelievably, given he's saving um, not just the US but the whole world from the pandemic, greatest me ever, ever, there are people who claim, the claim he has no idea what he's doing. Where would that come from? Toxic language. Not that we'd suggest the Chinese virus is uh, toxic language, but there's more than just contamination soil, contaminated soil down at the Westgate Tunnel going nowhere. We need another road desperately project. Not just contaminated soil. Hard as it is to believe, contractors have been inadvertently underpaying the workers. A mistake the caring employers pointed out, and we wouldn't uh, suggest anything else. In fact, it's outrageous that the state government is introducing introducing uh, jail and fines for wage theft, as they call it. And I'm, I'm prepared to bet, though, no one's going to go to jail, as if caring employers would deliberately rip off their workers over and above the normal surplus value. These irresponsible, lazy, avaricious workers checked their pay, pay slips and discovered, uh, discovered that um, annual pay increases were not rolled over, workers in specialist roles were never paid the specialist rates, that sort of thing. Thousands of dollars 
by mistake. By mistake, inadvertent, is almost as uh, at pandemic proportions. Speaking of which, finally, I wander over to the shopping centre between 7 and 8 every morning to get the papers, and so I joined the other oldies in our special early morning shopping spree. Aren't the supermarkets so thoughtful and enjoyed seeing the same shelves as empty as they are the rest of the day? See, treat the oldies as equals. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Kevin. Uh, it's almost like a Roger's thesaurus, uh, the business about uh, inadvertent. Uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we've now got a chat, uh, a good chat with Don Sutherland on our hands. G'day, Don. How are you? G'day, Annie. How are you? And g'day to all of your listeners. I must say that this whole thing about the coronavirus and uh, the smaller and smaller world we inhabit uh, or enforced uh, being inhabited is actually getting a bit, uh, making me a bit despondent. How are you faring? Um, well, I'm a bit of a mixture. I don't feel despondent. I'm, I'm feeling um, various uh, levels of uh, controlled anger, and I have come to the conclusion that I am opposed to any proposal that says we must hunker down but that must, in my view, be um, uh, defined. What we're, you know, that is the opposition to hunkering down, so that we behave consistently with what the science is telling us. Yep. Uh, which, which is that in this situation, um, you know, intensified focus on ha- hygiene, especially hand hygiene, and also on social distancing, is extremely important. And specifically in Australia the next two weeks to three weeks. It's particularly important because everything that's happening now in terms of the spread of COVID-19 was created two to three weeks ago. Yep. So what we do now is going to be essential for how soon we can get back to um, visible, uh, uh, highly visible social uh, campaigning and social struggle. Yeah, because uh, it's it disturbs me in the sense that uh, really important things are going on and they haven't stopped going on. Exactly, exactly. So climate change is still happening. Yeah. Um, wages suppression is still happening. Uh, so we have both the problems of environmental uh, destruction almost, and it is as severe as that in some parts of the geography of the world, and also uh, rising inequality is still happening. And in fact, if uh, most governments get away with the sort of stimulus packages they are bringing forward, that won't improve. So that, that won't reverse. So yeah, things really... And of course, my, my own view is that, uh, I mean, it's a bit... Uh, uh, I think the hand-washing thing scientifically is critical and we are indeed lucky to have a government that is an inspiration on hand-washing because they've been shown how to do it in regards to their own corrupt behaviour around the sports affairs. So, you know, we do have an inspiration from this appalling government in in, in a rather perverse way. (laughs) Well Um, spotted, man. Well, uh, when uh, one could go on about this government and, uh, you know, my body, my body wants to shut down everything. At the time I think of the opportunity of a stimulus from Morrison and his mm-hmm. mates, um, but um, uh, and then when you look at the economic stimulus they're proposing, then you know it, it, it really just gets uh, worse. But we should talk about 
things like that are still going on, like the annual wage review, uh, in the context of, uh, and, and especially in the context of what the ACTU is focused upon at the moment. Uh, and I think um, the ACTU um, itself and most of its constituent unions are doing a pretty good job, and some are doing even better than a pretty good job uh, in regard to the COVID-19 um, pandemic and what it means as far as workers are concerned. Um, the, the ACTU... There's been a rather tricky question for the ACTU in the last three or four months. It has not put any effort at all into public education about the annual wage review and what it might mean from the point of view of workers' incomes um, because of... But there's a funny way we should talk about despite the impact of the bushfires created by climate change, but the impact of bushfires on incomes in those regional communities that have borne the most severe brunt of those bushfires. And now, of course, because of the COVID-19, it has not talked about uh, uh, the annual wage review's significance in terms of how that pandemic interacts with the general, the drift to general economic crisis. So I, I, I think the ACQ has not quite got, although it's doing very, it's done very well in terms of what it's tried to do on some specific things about the bushfire crisis and now COVID-19. It has not done well, in my view, about the a broader program that, actually tackles and tries to reverse the character of the crisis. Uh, the tell, no, so tell, first, let's uh, talk about what they've done well. Tell us about what they've done well. Well, I think, the, for example, the, two, the, the focus in COVID-19 right now is on um, uh, paid specially for all workers who are affected with the loss of income um, uh, you know, who are forced into not being able to work for their income uh, because of COVID-19. And that means, that's of course, focused. people and, who are casualised, people who are... and all the yeah, rest of it. That's casuals uh, and other workers. It's uh, it, the, the primary focus in terms of public discussion has been on casuals, but the actual claim they've been trying to put forward to government um, has been on uh, has been on the situation for all workers because it's trying... This is its prime element to look after the interests of workers in keeping uh, wages churning through the economy with purchasing power and so on. And so do you now think that that would relate to Qantas workers who have... Uh, I, I, I watched the TWU secretary on the news. He was clearly fuming about this notion that the uh, workers at Qantas would, one, be laid off and, two, have to take all their annual leave. And he yeah. quite clearly saw it as propping up a, uh, a, a a large company that has done nothing for its workers. Yes, it's, it's, it, it, it is, that, that is exactly right. And I think uh, Michael Kane from the TWU... Uh, and then the leaders of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union and also the electrical trades workers uh, have been united and terrific in their condemnation of the inadequacy and the wrongness of that subsidy because it does nothing 
to look after the interests of workers employed by Qantas. And this, you've got to keep in mind that Qantas is one of the, the corporations that are highly skilled and effective in reducing their actual tax rate to around 2%. So there's a cohort of Australian corporations whose average tax payment is at around 2%, and Qantas is a part of that. And then on top of that, they're now getting this bailout, which is really not about the interests of workers employed by Qantas, nor about the interests of Qantas customers either. So, so now, now let's... That's an, example, that's an example, in my view, of, uh, you know, good stuff that unions yeah, are doing. that's right. So let's go and let's talk about uh, what's... Uh, Because it's quite clear what's come out of this uh, pandemic is that the capitalist system, one, the Australian economy was just about to do a major uh, nosedive because we were going to go straight into depression. And we also have uh, the uh, complete weaknesses of the capitalist system exposed by this virus. Uh, that That is correct. And I couldn't put it any better. I wanted to make the same, exactly the same point. Um, the the economy was drifting into, and and the drift was becoming more than a drift into towards a, a serious economic downturn. And you mean it was an undertow? Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. It was getting very serious before uh, COVID nineteen emerged. Well, it's a bit over three months ago now. Uh, out of China. And uh, what the fragility, actually, of this system, which is in some ways is incredibly robust because it does get through these situations, um, uh, but the fragility also within the system is revealed when along comes a virus which uh, science shows can be brought under control reasonably quickly. It just can't cope. It spreads because of uh, especially Western or Western capitalist countries having a very supercilious attitude to anything that comes out of China or, for that matter, any other Asian country. Uh, It spreads because they don't take urgent action because the system itself doesn't want to take urgent action. And so it suddenly escalates the pace. It speeds up the pace, the pace... Uh, of um, uh, in, into economic crisis, and uh, that is that requires deeper study from all of us who regard ourselves as participants in all sorts of struggles against aspects of the system, uh, and that's where people like in Australia, Humphrey and McQueen, come into play because their approach to analysing how crisis and why crisis occurs is far more important than anything we're going to get out of mainstream media. So, Which at the very best describes the problem, and sometimes you get terrific descriptions of the problem. Oh, yeah, or, or they put... deeper analysis. Or they put uh, flames on the pot because they're all vested. Everything that appears on mainstream media actually has some vested interest. Uh, people just need to be aware of that. The, um, now, the... the what relates to that is the character of the Morrison stimulus packages. So we've had two so far, uh, and both of them are against the ideological 
hard wiring of the government. So they've had to do them. So they've done them begrudgingly and in the least possible manner. And that's now driving the situation towards probably a much bigger package. Now, what they say is associated with this is that they are willing to throw everything at managing the economy so that it does not collapse into full-on crisis. Well, that is bullshit, if I can use um, sophisticated um, broadcasting language. Uh, that is bullshit because if they were fair dinkum, they would be saying that there should be a substantial increase for the lowest paid workers in the annual wage review. And they would be instructing and reinforcing that the Fair Work Commission, uh, at the very least, stick to its statutory timetable. But they're not doing that. They are not throwing everything at the resolution or modify significant modifying of the crisis because the Commonwealth Government has not made a submission to the annual wage review. <gasps> Submissions were right. So what I the... can't remember when oh. a Commonwealth Government has not made a submission, even though they've been opposed to any significant increase in the past, they at least have made a submission. The ACTU is seeking a 4% increase for all workers on low pay, that is, workers on the uh, national minimum wage, and that should be applied also to the minimum wages in all of the industrial wards. The... The employers generally are seek, have not specified a number but are pushing two things. Firstly, that it should be less than whatever the cost of living CPI is, which, of course, underestimates the real cost of living for workers. So they're, they're looking at, say, something at around 1.8% at the most, right? But secondly, they are proposing that the decision be postponed to June and not to be implemented until a month or so after that. And so what you're that, saying that is, is that the effect, government... That is, in fact, a wage freeze. Yeah, 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 that's a wage freeze. So what you're really that's saying is that the, government, the government's using the virus to actually just go out to lunch and the employers or the... Uh, capitalist class are using it to uh, maintain hegemony to make to make um, to make the working class pay particularly yeah. the most the, the, the poorest part of the working class now uh, and then of course sort of sitting alongside of that is the is the pathetic uh, effort uh, to uh, raise new start if you're on new start you'll take any increase I suppose but what they proposed, what is being proposed by the government, is quite pathetic and inadequate on two grounds. Firstly, it's inadequate for the needs of people who need social welfare support, and then secondly, it's totally inadequate if you want to throw everything at putting more cash into the economy so that things get bought, uh, bought and therefore things get produced. So, uh, all in all, we have this sort of pretend these these. Uh, so-called packages, these stimuli packages, which are not stimuli at all, which I suppose is, you know, there's something perversely appropriate about that when it comes to Morrison and company. The, uh, so uh, what, what about us, though, therefore? What about our movement? We have to make sure that 
that very start that firstly our critical faculties are not suspended. There will be many humanist type attitudes amongst us that will say we are all in this together. So anything like you know Labor and the government coming to some sort of agreement and working together is it that good for for us? Well, it's not. That is the suspension of critical thinking, and we must resist that. And secondly, we must work consistently with our knowledge of the science about COVID-19 to find ways of defying the hunkering down mentality. Uh, We have to do that in a safe way, uh, but we will need to be able to meet not just online, and of course you'd be stupid not to do more of that and get better at it, but uh, we have to summon in some way or another develop forms of visible action that are safe and at the same time encourage people to resist any tendency to feeling that there is no hope. The hope lies in the alternatives that we can create. That is what we are capable of and we will have to do that. Uh, there will be lots of jokes about the opportunity to stock up on all sorts of uh, alcohol, you know, stock up on all sorts of alcoholic fluids, and uh, and apply those alongside with loads of Netflix and the like. We have to resist that uh, in our own mentality and encourage each other to resist it. And the more we do that, the better. And so when it comes back to the annual wage review and things like that, it is really important, I think, for the ACT to be thinking about a program of demands that it develops amongst the people themselves their effort on the paid special leave, COVID paid special leave proposal, where they have got now well over 100,000 signatures in a petition is terrific but they need to apply that sort of thing uh, to a program of proposals that remind everyone that a democratic just transition on climate change is still urgent. We can't put it off until COVID-19 is solved. It's still urgent. And, And tackling inequality is as essential as ever right now within the context of COVID-19. So rather than just a single demand, a set of five or six or seven demands, including those that relate to one of the necessities of life, which is housing, so there we're talking about rent rent support or uh, the waiving of rents and also mortgage relief and so on. That's the sort of thing that the ACQ is in a position to lead on. You know, and within, the, within uh, all of the unions, there will be right-wing Labor apparatchiks who will oppose that. Well, our voices from below have got to silence that opposition from those who want to go to a simplistic uh, right-wing ALP limited perspective. It's fascinating, Don. Uh, I did an interview with someone about a film that was to do with the destruction of the rivers and uh, it was a very good and clear film and they said that when they showed it to somebody, they said, oh, you haven't got a bad guy, you haven't got an enemy, 
you know. And uh, I, I went away thinking that's really fascinating because COVID-19 is an enemy while the environment and inequality uh, are not personifications. They're amorphous in the minds. The way I understand this, it's spot on again. I mean, the way I understand the science of COVID-19 in its origins, it has probably emerged out of, uh, as a virus, out of uh, what might be called, for the lack of a better word at the time, at the moment, exotic species that have been brought out of the wild into public markets. Now, stop and think about that. Yeah, I know. Why is that necessary? Why are uh, wild animals That's right. uh, being brought into public markets? The, the core fundamental reason for it is because that's what capitalism demands of itself. The system demands new products, new markets. To get those, it must encroach onto the soils that are now nourished by jungle and forests. Oh, and also the poachers. But the poachers, the people who... No, no, the people who poach them too are probably on the breadline. They're probably on the breadline, but they're pushed into it by a... Uh, uh, by corporations that are desperate to find these new exotic delights, in inverted commas, and care not a fig about what problems that might generate for nature or for humans. So we see this constant search for new products and new markets, which means there must be the destruction of forests and jungle, the discovery of species that can be produced or reproduced into meat or some other uh, some other form of food for, for proper. So the intrinsic value of those exotic species, and I'm not sure that's the right word, exotic, but those exotic, exotic animals, the tr- intrinsic value of them is killed off as they are turned into a commodity to make a profit. Yeah, it's really disgusting. That is intrinsic to the system that we give our consent to at the moment. We've come to the end of the uh, discussion, uh, Don. I have to say that uh, it's been a fascinating morning. Thank you very much for talking to us about this. I'm quite flabbergasted that the uh, government has is out to lunch and uh, and it, it, while appearing to be, have its action suit on. And, uh, yeah, uh, once again, uh, the poorest people are carrying the biggest load. Uh, well, that's the intention, as that all capitalist crises require that working class, the working class and the nature and nature itself must bear the brunt of the crisis. Outrageous. Thank you very We've much. Got, we, we have to resist that, as, as, our, as, as our forebears have done in the past. That's right. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. All the best, everyone. I look forward to hearing people's opinions about what we've been talking about. And that was Don Sutherland. And we are at the end of the program. Uh, the uh, We've talked to uh, Deborah uh, Hart from the uh, Climate Guardians about a demonstration that uh, she and uh, Kate Narlow had outside the uh, Herald uh, um, Weekly Building uh, 
and uh, which caused uh, umbrage and took them to, has taken them on the way to court. But uh, we'll see what happens. That's a watching brief. Uh, we went on to onshore gas drilling. We spoke to uh, Cam Walker from uh, Friends of the Earth uh, in Victoria. They've taken away, they are preparing legislation to go through Parliament to uh, allow onshore gas drilling, which is an outrage in this climate. And uh, we uh, talked to... Uh, Oh, we heard from Kevin this morning, which was pretty interesting, and uh, we followed it on with a, a chat with Don Sutherland about uh, the uh, non-existent uh, uh, wages uh, case, uh, yearly annual uh, wages case, which is uh, the uh, thing that uh, is done in order to keep the poor, uh, the uh, lowest wages above uh, the waterline. But even now, the... Uh, Employers want people to bear the brunt of uh, 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 the demise of this system because they want them to take uh, it. Uh, 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 they don't want anything above uh, the CPI, which is, I mean, you know. Anyway, I'm 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 have to go. I'm completely flabbergasted. We're going to go out with uh, the Bachelorettes and the Earth New Absence. Uh, despite Don's uh, cheery words at the end there, I think that uh, I'm going to have to think about all this. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. Keep safe. Uh, talk to you uh, in a couple of weeks. Thank you. 